Well, what's up? I want to say hello to everybody who is watching online, whether you're on Facebook or on the Second Chance website. To the people in the room, hello. Um, to the people at LifeSpring, man, it's got to be a great day at LifeSpring because Tennessee pulled the upset yesterday. I know you're excited. Got, we actually have a Tennessee fan in the room. Tennessee pulled the upset yesterday, beat Kentucky. Now, who would have known that would have been an upset? But Kentucky's pretty good at football this year. Clemson fans are happy, South Carolina fans. I mean, you had it, you had it, but you, anyway, I'll stop because I don't want you to log off. Anyway, anyway, super excited. Hey, today we're going to finish up this series called Christianese. Technically, because of something that happened this weekend, I was going to take it one more week, but I'm not going to take it one more week. I'm actually going to do some stuff on Facebook this week about uh, continuing this series, so if you want some on like, like mini sermons or devotionals or whatever. Um, it'll be on Facebook this week. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. Next week, we're going to do a, a message called Nacho Church. And it's, gonna, it's, it's my two favorite subjects, nachos and church. We're going to combine them together, talk about it. And, um, and, and next week, next week, we're going to announce the day that we're moving into the building. We actually have a move-in date, and we're going to announce it next Sunday. Don't send me an email saying, I can't watch next Sunday. Can I get it? No, you got to watch next Sunday. And some of you are going, you're just saying that, so I'll watch next Sunday. Can't get one by you. You're brilliant. All right, so so today, today, we're going to finish up the series, Christianese. And I want to start off like this. Um, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I loved reading books, loved books. In fact, if you're around my age, you, you might remember when we were, when we were in school, about once a month, we would get a little bit of catalog. It was called the Troll Book Club. This is back when trolls were cool. Um, it was called the Troll Book Club, and you could order books to read. I, you were, I, I see some head nodding in the room. Um, and you could order books. Now, it was always embarrassing to me because I would get this thing. I'd be so excited. I would go home. I'd check all the books that I wanted. And, um, and my mom and dad always said yes. It was the only thing they said, always said yes to. We would go to um, department stores, and they would say, no, you can't have that. But they always told me yes to books. And I would order like $10, $15 worth of books, which to my parents was a lot of money because they were both blue collar. We lived on the Mill Hill. Um, but looking back, they were brilliant because I was ADD and I was hyper, but the only thing that would calm me down were books. And so they would just buy me all the books. So Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, Super Fudge, The Outsiders, like Lord of the Flies. I devoured these books until... I got to middle school. And in middle school, I discovered this thing called a book report. And once they started making you read books, they started making us read the classics. Now, I want to pause for a second. Let me tell you why they're called the classics. They're called the classics because if they didn't call them the classics, nobody would read them because they're horrible, all right? Like, no, like when the guy wrote a tale of two CDs, he was high the entire time. Let's just, let's just admit that. It was the best of times, the worst of times. And that's the only thing I remember because it was the first sentence, and my whole book report on a tale of two CDs was on that sentence, all right? But when I got out of high school, I started, or out, of, out of college, I actually started loving books again. And so for me, I can get caught up in a in a John Grisham novel or a James Patterson novel. Um, I read The Hunger Games, the whole series in four days. I just got, I just, when I go in, I go in, all right? Um, and so I just love reading books, which when I tell people that, I'm often asked this question, what's your favorite book? And it's a trap. It's a trap for me. It's not a trap for most people, it's a trap for me. Because see, I'm a pastor. And so there's an answer I'm supposed to give 
And then there's the, the right answer, right? Right? And so the answer that I'm supposed to give is the Bible. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm supposed to say the Bible. But here's what might surprise some people. In fact, this will surprise some people. The Bible actually is my favorite book. Now, what's amazing about the Bible is it's not just a book. It's actually a collection of 66 documents that form a book. But I, the Bible really is my favorite book. I try my best. I try my best to read from it a little bit every day. And it encourages me, it challenges me, it teaches me. I really, really, really do love the Bible. It really, really, really is my favorite book. But I believe the phrase, the Bible says, has actually been used to push more people away from Jesus than to draw people in. Now stay with me. Stay with me, because I'm, I'm not saying the Bible's wrong. I'm not saying the Bible's bad. I'm just saying that people that speak Christianese, people that are so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good, use this phrase, and usually what follows is the Bible says, you need to stop it, you need to knock it off, you need it. And I believe this phrase has been used, once again, to push more people away than to draw more people in. For example, for example, let me just give you a personal example. When I got my first tattoo, I do have a tattoo, um, I, I actually have two tattoos, and I've got two more that I want to get, and when I get them, they're going to be awesome, but, and, and I love tattoos. I love getting a tattoo. So, um, st don't, if you're on Facebook right now, don't, don't hit me with a no tattoo verse, because I've got it. I'm going to show it to you in just a second, okay? When, when I got my tattoo, I put it on social media, and people were like, oh, that looks so cool, that looks so cool, that's so cool, but then I had the Bible says people. And the Bible says people came after me with, the Bible says you shouldn't get a tattoo. Now, technically, they were correct. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself. I am the Lord. And this is the, this is the Bible bomb. I mean, this is the Bible grenade. People were like pulling the pin and hit me with this grenade. But what people don't really understand is this was written, the book of Le Leviticus was written for a specific group of people, the Israelites, for a specific time, addressing a specific issue because people put tattoo marks on their body to identify themselves as pagan worshipers. My, th this is not pagan worship. This was, I promise, that's not the reason I got the tattoo. So they were taking a verse completely out of context. And let me just kind of say this. If all of us were living according to everything written in the book of Leviticus, we would be dead, okay? Because there's some stuff in there that got us all killed, all right? But people were hitting me with the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. And so I just started saying, well, just a few verses later, the Bible says, stand up in the presence of the aged. So when old people walk in the room, do you stand up? No? Then shut up about my tattoo, all right? So the, I mean, it's the, the Bible says a lot, but people love to treat it cafeteria style, picking and choosing and picking and choosing and picking and choosing. This is, I heard a friend of mine say this years ago, and this is something that I said. I, I actually ripped it off, and I, it's not my own statement, but he said this, and it made so much sense. I believe the Bible is equally inspired. I do not believe the Bible is equally relevant. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. I believe the Bible is equally inspired. I do not believe the Bible is equally relevant. Now, this is where some people are getting really angry. 
all right? The Bible people. And once again, my favorite book, my favorite book. And they're like, you can't say the entire Bible is not equally relevant. Well, technically, technically I can. I want to prove it to you. I want to show you a, a couple verses that you would not put on a t-shirt or a coffee mug. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. You're going to love this. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, if two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you shall cut off her hand. Show her no pity. I just have a couple questions. Number one, was this a problem? Like, like was this a problem? Because the only reason you have to address something like this is it's, it, it, it's, it's an issue. Hey, my husband's in a fight. I think I'll know what I'll do. By the way, that'll stop a fight. I mean, that is true. Technically, you could say it, it, will, it will just take the fight right out of a man. But can we all admit, don't, don't get mad. I'm just, this is what the Bible says says it, that, that that's really not very relevant for our society today. I think mean, if somebody's hurting, do you, hey, I got a verse, I got a couple verses for you. It might cheer you up. All the, all the Bible is equally inspired. I don't think the Bible is equally relevant. And, and I would say this, I would say this, that a lot of people probably in the past 20 years have walked away from the Christian faith because of attacks on the Bible. You grew up thinking the Bible's true, the Bible's true, the Bible's true, and then you went to college and you had a college professor who maybe told you that the Bible wasn't true or, or maybe you watched a Richard Dawkins video or maybe you saw something that attacked the scriptures and they seemingly on the surface had really good arguments and because you doubted the Bible, then you doubted your faith. And I've, I know a lot of people that have walked away from God and walked away from church because they saw something in the Bible that they didn't like or they didn't agree with or they didn't understand or they thought it was a contradiction. And they completely walked away from the faith because of what the Bible says, which is why it's so important for us to remember this concept right here. I'm not a Christian because of what the Bible says. I'm a, Christ, I'm a Christian because of what Jesus did. I'm not a Christian because of what the Bible said. I'm a Christian because of what Jesus did. In fact, we can get even more specific than that. The resurrection of Jesus, not the reliability of scriptures, is the foundation on which Christianity is built. We're not followers of Jesus because of a book. We're followers of Jesus because of, of an event. Because if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have the Bible because nobody cares about Jesus or, his, or where he came from, his foundation. It's the resurrection that gives us hope as followers of Jesus because the Bible didn't even exist for the first 350 years of Christianity and they reached half the known world. Why? Because they believed a guy rose from the dead. That's the foundation for our faith. And I don't believe the resurrection because of what the Bible says. I believe it's, 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 it's bigger than that. It's more important than that. I believe the resurrection because there's a guy named Matthew who was a follower of Jesus. And he saw Jesus crucified and he saw him die and he saw him rise from the dead. And he wrote a story about it. And it's, it's in the Bible, but it's called the book of Matthew. 
I believe in the resurrection because a guy named Mark, who is a disciple of Peter, sat down with Peter, interviewed him from an eyewitness account, and wrote down Peter's account in the book of Mark. I believe in the resurrection because a guy named Luke, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke says, we've carefully investigated these things. And he wrote an entire account of the life of Jesus, how he was crucified and rose from the dead. And then there's a guy named John. John, who was one of the closest disciples of Jesus, wrote an entire book about how Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised to life again. These were eyewitness accounts of Jesus, and it even goes into something the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, where he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. Paul said the whole thing hinges not on a book, but on an event called the resurrection. Now, None of that is to discount the Bible. It's to refocus our attention as followers of Christ that the, our foundation, the foundation of our faith, is actually built on the resurrection. So for me, for me, for me, especially over these past two or three years, I've really moved away from what the Bible, because the Bible says so much, and then, but this verse says this, but this verse says this, and you do this, and you can't eat shellfish, but I love shrimp, and, and there's all these, there's all this confusion stuff, confusing stuff. So for me, for me, for me, I'm trying my best as a follower of Christ to lean into what Jesus said, what, what the recorded words of Jesus. And Jesus, for me, what I'm trying to lean into is what he said, in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he said this, a new command I give you. I want to pause. Now, this is going to make some people feel uncomfortable, and that's fine because I was uncomfortable with it at first until I really just kind of started digging into it. He didn't say an additional command because they would have all rolled their eyes because they had 618 commands. Okay, and they couldn't keep the 618. They couldn't keep the 10, all right? So they couldn't keep the 618. And, and plus, um, that was the written law, the oral law. There was around 3,000 commands that you had to keep if you wanted to be pure, kind of like a lot of our churches today. Um, but Jesus didn't say, I'm giving you an additional command. He said, I'm giving you a new, a new command. Now, just a really quick question, just a really quick question. This is just, this is just pure logic. If you get something new, what do you do with the old? And you just kind of put it aside, right? Like, how many of you have ever gotten a new, a new phone? Anybody ever gotten a new phone in the room? Okay, what do you do with your old phone? It, yeah, you just put it on eBay or you gave it away, right? You, you, it, let, just imagine what your life would look like if you had carried around every cell phone that you'd ever owned. Like, you, like some of you wouldn't be able to walk, right? right? You'd have like bags everywhere. So, so Jesus isn't saying, I'm giving you something additional. Jesus said, I'm giving you something brand new to focus on. Then he said this, love one another. Now, let me pause. If he would have stopped right there, that could be one of the most confusing verses in the entire Bible. Love one another. Sounds like a hippie, right? Let's get in a room and hug and meditate. And all, but but, and, but, but that's, that's, Jesus loves us so much that he went on to explain it, which was brilliant. Watch this. He says, as I have loved you. Those five words, 
change everything. Those five words, Jesus didn't say, you don't get to define love. Jesus said, I'm defining love. And the way I'm defining love is the way I've loved you. Now, he's sitting around the table with 11 guys. Judas had already left to go to betray him. And I can't prove this, but I believe he kind of looked at each one of them in the eye and smiled. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he said this. Then he said this, and this is huge. Don't miss this. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you can quote the Bible. No. He said, people will know that we are his by the way we love one another. I know people that can quote the Bible, but don't have one single ounce of love for other people in their hearts. And that's just wrong. That's, that's us missing the mark. Now, Let's pause for just a second. I'm not going to go through all 12. But let's just think about the people that Jesus was sitting at the table with. Because when he said, just as, just as I have loved you, you must love one another, that, that was such a strong statement to every man that was sitting at the table. One of those people, we've already kind of talked about him a little bit, was Matthew. Now, when Jesus met Matthew... And, and if you've heard me teach this year, I've taught about this three or four times. And the reason I keep talking about it is because I can't get over it. I, this, this just blows my mind. And it's something I've never seen in the scriptures until about two years ago. Jesus loved Matthew. How did Jesus love Matthew? Well, let's look in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. The, Matthew said, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a task collector's booth. Now, I want to stop real quick and just, just kind of remind everybody. We don't have a moral equivalent of a tax collector. This was the lowest of the low in Jewish society. So low that as we read the Gospels, you see sinners and then you see tax collectors. Tax collectors were so bad, they couldn't even be called sinners. They had their own category. It was the most morally rehensible thing you could do. People, tax collectors were scum of the earth. They had turned their back on God. They had turned their back on the temple. They had turned their back on their people. Nobody loved the tax collectors. And here we see Jesus walking up to a tax collector. And what does Jesus say? Follow me. That, that's mind-blowing. Because he could have said, Man, stop it. Knock it off. He could have said, the Bible says... He could have said all kinds of stuff. But Jesus looks at Matthew. Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. While he's in the act of sinning and says, I want you right now as you are to follow me. See, the message that we preach in the church today, we've preached this for far too long, is change and you can follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, and you'll change. And, and the Bible says, he, Matthew got up and, and followed him. Matthew got up and followed him right then. And, and, and the lesson that I, I keep walking away with from this is Jesus is not in love with some future version of you. Jesus didn't walk up to Matthew and say, hey, Matthew, if you will get everything right, and stop doing these things, and start doing these things, 
And then you've got my love. Jesus said, no, Matthew, I want you right now as you are. You think you're the scum of the earth, but I'm going to use you, Matthew, to change the world. That's how he loved Matthew. Now, there's some other people at the table, like um, James and John, and, and all of us, all of us, all of us have done things, some things that are very selfish and self-centered, right? Self, nobody in here, nobody watching today is going, man, I've never struggled with being selfish. All of us, I, I've, I've made the joke, and it's, it's true mostly, I don't like to share food. Like, I don't want you to, I, I don't, like, can I have a bite of that? No. You can't have a bite. You should have ordered your own. All I want is a bite. Well, <laughs> it sucks to be you because you can't have a bite. But I was at a, I never will forget this. I was sitting at a table one night and we were all joking about it. It's a bunch of people. And the girl sitting next to me was adamant that she was not a food sharer too. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's good. You know, whatever. They bring the food to the table. She got a burger and fries. And a guy across from her said, I want some of your fries. She said, if you reach across this table and touch my fries, I will stick this fork in your hand. And I was like, dear God, this, I mean, can we just buy him some fries and forget about it? He laughed and said, I dare you. Could you not? Reaches out his hand. God is my witness. She comes down with the fork, stuck it in his hand. I'm like, what the, like, oh my God. Like I'm sitting there watching this whole thing and I'm like, he wanted some fries. I'm not even a food sharer. And I'm like, all he wanted was some fries. So fortunately, it, it broke the skin. We, we, we got all patched up. And I, I think I actually bought him some fries. Um, but we've all kind of been that way. And maybe you hadn't stabbed anybody with a fork, which is good. But all of us have done something very selfish and self-centered, right? Well, two people at the table, James and John, James and John had done the same thing essentially to Jesus. Like, have you, ever, have, have you ever just poured your heart out to somebody and after you poured your heart out to them, they just didn't get it? In fact, they were almost a little bit insensitive to it. But watch what happens. This is Jesus. He's talking to his disciples and Mark records this. He said, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. While those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. This is, this is Jesus just opening his heart. Guys, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get killed. I'm gonna die. He goes on to say, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So, so don't miss this. This is an intense moment with Jesus. Jesus is like, guys, they're going to kill me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me. They're going to mock me. This is, it, guys, it's going to get bad. What happens? The very next verse, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Watch this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, 
Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left hand in your glory. You think they missed the point? Jesus goes, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mocked. And they come to him and they go, hey, man, we are, man, I, that breaks my heart, dude. That is awful. Hey, you think you can do something for me? Um, when you come in your glory, sorry, that whole crucifix, we don't even think that's going to happen anyway. So when you come in your glory, can one of us sit on your right? And can, it was a, a very selfish, self-centered, self focused thing, and Jesus still loved them through it. The reason I say that is because there are those of us that at some point in our lives, we've done things that are very selfish, self-centered, self-focused, maybe have even caused pain and hurt to other people. And we really wrestle with those things sometimes. Does God still love me even though I was very selfish and self-centered? And the answer is yes. Because he loved James and he loved John, who were the, the, that's one of the most prominent examples of selfishness we could ever see. And he still loved them. There's a, another apostle that gets accused of doubting. His name's Thomas. But do you know that Thomas isn't the only person that doubted? Because there are people today, listen, let's, let's just be honest, let's be honest. There are people today that doubt some things about God. You doubt whether or not he loves you sometimes. There's not a person watching that hasn't doubted God's love for them. How could God love me if I've done this? How could God love me if this is who I am? There's not a person that hasn't doubted the presence of God. Haven't you, you, haven't you heard people say, God is always with you, and you're like, eh, I don't know. I mean, where was he during that thing? And then somebody gives you that uh, that that. Uh, poem footprints and if there was a, and, and you want to hit them with it right 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 it's a great poem it's a great poem it's a great poem don't ever hit somebody with that though when they're going through a tough time um uh, there there are people that we just doubt god's love we doubt god's mercy we doubt god when we see things happen tragedies and stuff like that and then we get told if you doubt god you don't have faith and god doesn't love you do you know that's not true god loves us even when we doubt there's a passage of scripture. I didn't, I didn't see this for the first time until a few months ago. In fact, it's coming out in my book. Um, my book I've got a book that's coming out in, in January. I, some of y'all are like, I didn't know you wrote a book. It's just because I've told you about it for the first time. Um, and, and I've got something about this coming out in my book because there's a passage in the gospel of Matthew called the Great Commission. But the, there's a couple verses that we've always missed when we've read this passage. And if you've ever doubted God, or you ever doubted his love, or if you ever doubted his faithfulness, if you ever doubted him at all, I want you to see this passage because I think you might be encouraged. Matthew writes this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Implying more than Thomas. Now, can First of all, first of all, I just want to give you some comfort because m maybe you've never been told this. You can worship Jesus and doubt it at the same time. That's a dichotomy we don't talk about a lot. But you can worship and doubt at the same time. Matthew said so. Not the Bible says. Matthew wrote it down. <laughs> now, 
how in the world can we think that we're going to somehow escape doubt in our lives when some of the men who saw Jesus physically resurrected are going, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I had a cousin that did that one time. I don't, I don't know. I, they're, they're doubting. But Jesus doesn't even rebuke them in this passage for their doubt. Watch what he says. When, he saw, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Watch this. And I surely, and surely I am with you always, even in your doubt, to the very end of the age. So if you're here and you've had a tough time past week, the past five weeks, past five years, you've gone through some seasons where you doubt, so did the apostles. And Jesus said, I'll be with you even in your doubt. Last but not least, last but not least, here's my favorite, everybody's favorite, it's Peter. You've heard me say it before, if you want to feel good about yourself, just go read about some of the crazy stuff that Peter did. I mean, Peter, Peter cut off a guy's ear one time, all right? And it, little, some violent tendencies, which I think that's, that's why I like him so much. But there's a conversation that Peter has with Jesus that um, is somewhat disturbing. Now, um, now, put yourself in just a second, Peter's shoes. Jesus comes up to Peter and says this. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Stop. Stop. If I'm Peter, I'm like, okay, time, time out. Why are y'all talking? Like, wh wh why, why are y'all even having a conversation? And I'm automatically worried because don't miss this. In the Hebrew mind in this time period, there had only ever been one other conversation where Satan had demanded to have someone, and it was Job. And things didn't go so well for Job. Now, everybody goes, oh, he finished strong. Yeah, but it, it sucked for a while if you were Job. So Satan ha has demanded to have you. Not the words you want to hear from Jesus. Okay, I want to hear, peace be still, fear not, my child, you know, Lazarus, come forth, something like that. I don't want to hear something about the devil wanting to have me. That, th this is how horror movies get made, all right? Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Whoa, did you, did you tell him no? <laughs> did, you, did you just say, uh-uh? Sifted as wheat? I don't even know what that means. I just know I don't want that. Like, I don't want that right there. Just no. You know what? Let's not do Satan any favors. You just shut it down because you're Jesus and he's not. Jesus is this. But I have prayed for you. Okay, that's, that, that is great. I'm glad you prayed for me. I would prefer that you tell him no. But Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, Jesus told Peter, Peter, the devil's coming after you and, and you're going to fall. It's, it's going to, I already know. But you'll get your faith back. And when you do, strengthen your brothers.
That to me is one of the most amazing passages of grace in the entire Bible. Because Jesus is telling Peter, I know you're going to mess up. But after, after you mess up, then you're going to have an opportunity to make it right. Blows my mind. See, because most people, when they look at what Peter did, Peter denied Christ not once, not twice, but three times. They're saying, you know what? I would have totally fired that guy and let him go. And Jesus actually put him in charge of the whole thing. This right here is just proof that, that, and I'm saying this for the person or the people out there that you feel like you've messed up so bad that Jesus could never love you. And if he could look at that table and look at Peter and say, as I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to love other people. In other words, the best way I think, can think of to say it is this. If Jesus can love them through their mess, he can love us through our mess. If he can love Matthew through the worst sin imaginable, if he can love James and John in their self-centeredness, if he could love some of those guys in their doubt, if he could love Peter, and and even though Peter would deny him and turn his back on him, then there's there's nobody watching today in any, any type of way that messed up as bad as the apostles messed up. And Jesus was like, yeah, I still, I still love you guys. So if, if Jesus can love them through their mess, then he can love us through our mess, which is the challenge for us. And if Jesus can love us through our mess, we should love others through theirs too. I like the first part. That one's tough, isn't it? But Jesus said, that the world will know that we're his followers by the way we love one another. And Christians in the early, before the, listen, we didn't even have the Bible for 350 years. Before the Bible was ever written, people took Jesus at his word and orphanages were started because Christians got tired of seeing babies taken and abandoned by the Roman world. Christians would go out and take them in because that's what Jesus said to do, love others. Hospitals were started by Christians because when a plague would hit a region, all the healthy people would move out and the Christians would move in to care for the sick because Jesus said, as I have loved you, you must love one another. It was people taking Jesus at his word, not standing on a moral pedestal and saying the Bible says, but actually stepping into people's lives and saying, as Jesus has loved me, that's how I'm going to love you. So, 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 if you're wrestling today, with doubt or fear or worry or even concern of whether or not God loves you, I want to put your mind at rest. So he can love those guys. He can love us. And our challenge as followers of Jesus is no matter how messed up we think somebody else is, is to love them like Jesus loves us. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for the fact that your love is unconditional. And we know that not just Jesus because of what the Bible says, but because of what you did, how you rose from the grave. 
and you went after the guys that abandoned you and you didn't lecture them, but you loved them back into the kingdom. Father, I want to pray for those today that are listening to this message and are really wrestling with selfish, self-centered decisions we've made, doubt, worry, concern, Jesus, that we've somehow disqualified ourselves from your love, that you would speak to hearts right now and just remind people that your love is unconditional. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know what God said to you in this message, but it's my prayer that you would just take a second and just in your heart speak back to him. Just maybe say thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for, God, walking with me in my doubt. And maybe you're watching today or you're listening to this message and you never have prayed to receive Christ because you're like, I'm too bad of a sinner. I've had too many doubts or I I don't know if I believe everything in the Bible. You know what? It's not the Bible. It's the resurrection that's the foundation for the faith. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for your sins and all you have to do is receive that payment. So today, if you're ready to receive Christ in your life, if you want to receive Jesus, receive his unconditional love, then I want to invite you to pray a prayer right where you are, whether you're watching online or you're sitting at LifeSpring. Just in your heart, just pray, Jesus Christ, right now, I ask you, come into my life. Take over. Take control. I believe you died on the cross rose from the grave to pay for my sins. I surrender everything to you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Well, head still bowed and eyes still closed. If you're at LifeSpring, if you just pray that prayer, if you just lift up your hand, if you just lift it up and just lift it up real high right now because we want to celebrate with you. If you're online, if you'll do the hand raise emoji on Facebook or if, you'll, if you're on our website, if you'll do the little hand raise because we want to know and celebrate with you and help you Take your next step in your walk with Jesus in any way we can. Um, You just do that hand raise. And if you're at LifeSpring, somebody's going to come up and tell you what you need to do at the end of the message. Jesus, thank you so much that you love us unconditionally. And we know it not just because of what the Bible says, but because of what you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, listen, thanks for being with us today. Super excited about next week announcing the opening date for the building. We have it down. It's su- we're, we're super excited about it. Um, the sound system and lights and stuff like that are being installed. Furniture, chairs are being ordered this week. We're going to get comfy chairs because y'all stepped up. In fact, um, most of you already know because we sent out an email and communicated it, but we raised the $250,000. So I want to say thank you for everybody that gave um, seriously, because you give, and it's not just this, it's because of your regular giving, people, your regular tithes, your offerings, your gifts, because you give, we're going to be able to go into this facility. Listen, debt-free. We don't owe a dime. Um, and that's not a testament to me. That's a testament to the fact that you guys have been faithful in your giving. So I just wanted to say thank you. Um, and if you want to continue to give, um, or if you want to make a second chance a part of your, your, you know, just your regular giving, that's the website, mysecondchancechurch.com. Um, or the, you can mail us a check, as people do, 210 South Main Street, Anderson, South Carolina, 
29624. Like I said, super excited about, and listen, don't email me and ask me, hey, I can't watch next week. Can I know early? No, we're not telling you early. We're not telling you early. We're going to tell you next week, the opening date, first services for Second Chance Church. Super excited about it. Love you guys. Y'all have a great week.